Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners to prepare for an exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights Podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates Brownsword, and today I've got Peter Searle talking with me. Now, Peter's a, a bit of a guru when it comes to working with businesses in the construction sector. So, welcome and uh, thanks for joining me today, Peter. Yeah, good morning, Daryl. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Peter, look, the reason we, uh, in our planning, put together today was there's a lot happening in, in um, exit planning at the moment. And I think I'm getting the feeling that business owners are becoming more and more aware and they're starting to understand that if they do want to get or reach all of their goals and aspirations when it comes to exiting their business and uh, that they do need to prepare. They're starting, I think that awareness is increasing and um, and so we've got a lot of business um, consultants out there who are helping business owners prepare for exit. And I've spoken to a few of them over the, the, the course of this podcast. But what I'm interested in about today's conversation is that you don't try and do it for everyone. You've niched down, you just focus on industries that work in construction, such as architects and planners and, and, and what have you. So how did that come about? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it came about because my background is in, in the industry. So I spent over 30 years in, in corporate life working for one of the tier one contractors and uh, an opportunity came up when I was you know just mid 50s to, 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 to exit and uh, what, what I decided to do was uh, help help some of the subcontractors with their business plans and all their sort of uh, their growth plans and I suppose because of my age and who I knew in the industry I got approached by a lot of subcontractors that were uh, uh, or the owners who were the same age as me or there are thereabouts because we've known each other for a long time and, and the first thing you know when you, you go into to help them with their growth plans is you know well where do you want to be what do you want to do and uh, because of their age um, it wasn't necessarily all I need more it wasn't you know the first thing might have been on their mind was they needed more work or they needed to sort out claims or whatever but as this discussion evolved, you know, the bigger goal was, well, what are you actually going to do in five or 10 years time? How are you going to get out of the business? So what's the business going to look like? How's it going to be structured? What do we need to, need to do to achieve that five or 10 year uh, goal? And, and that's how it came about, really. It was um, by people that I knew and the age group that I was, uh, I'm in, really. Um, and, and from that, it's part, I, you know, I found it very interesting that uh, uh, it, it grew from that, really. Okay. So from your perspective, how much awareness is there in the construction sector that exit planning is a requirement if they do want to, um, I guess, sell their business or, or get some sort of uh, compensation for their business and what they've built up and uh, over their left because when they do leave, because... I'm guessing across the construction sector, we've got a, a real span of um, types of businesses from, as you say, subcontractors to, you know, so, so quite small businesses yeah. up to some really significant uh, construction companies with, with many, many employees and, and millions of pounds of revenue. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is a big, big spread of businesses. Um, I mean, I'd probably 
probably focus on businesses in the you know small and medium size for, for the purpose of this discussion because the larger businesses it's a, it's a different kettle of fish when they when they look to buy or sell but for the small and medium sized businesses because the way construction is is structured and it's you know it's a very cyclical industry um goes up and down businesses actually tend to have very few employees and, and most of the work is then subcontracted and even the subcontractors they're using lots and lots of subcontractors so you might just have you know like a, a an owner um a bookkeeper and maybe one person or two people running around the sites keeping check on what's going on everything else they might have you know 15 20 30 people out there actually doing the work that are all actually individual trades for them or separate you know separately employed with the with the support side like the architects and, and the structural engineers and all the other people then they do tend to um tend to acquire people and and they operate very much like a professional services business would you know like an accountant or a or a a, a solicitor or lawyers practice but 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 they've got their own problems now because of the way the economy is um yeah so, yeah yeah so, so there's there's similarities to some sectors but not to others so when when you're working and and someone's engaged with you peter and and um yeah, they're they're from the sector. What are the things that you look out as as I guess opportunities for them to build value in their business and to make it easier to exit and and more attractive to be acquired? What are some of the common things that keep showing up in this sector? Yeah, what, I mean, some of the common things are is to try and get um, uh, some foresight on the work that you've got coming in. So you know, for contractors uh, and, and consultants. Um, a, a lot of the work is project based. So as soon as the projects have finished, obviously the work's finished. So there's no longevity, no foresight. So one of the things is 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 to start trying to get on uh, PSLs, preferred supply chain lists, um, where there may well be regular work and frameworks, public sector frameworks or frameworks for private companies, so that you can see that you you've actually got something that's special and unique. Uh, for three to five years down the line, uh, that that helps. the uh, The other one that um, that helps is if 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 uh, if people can start to acquire some sort of assets, um, you know, their offices or yards, so that they've got a physical asset that they can separate out from the business and and put into their pension pot. That's another one. Uh, but but you can do that with all sorts of different things. I mean, scaffolders, you know, you know the tube and fitting. <laughs> you know, they they run all sub subcontractors and subcontractor, uh, you know, gangs. But somebody's got to own the tube and fitting, so you can build up a big 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 asset with the tube and fitting and sell that at the end of the day. You know, the steel can command quite a good price. The tube. So. When you say build up asset, are you saying build up stock? Yeah, a tangible asset in that case for 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 a scaffolder it would be, um, uh, um, and property would be an asset that that could be sold separately or uh, rented back to to um, the the business if you pass the business on to people in the business, for instance. So it then becomes a rental income. Um, so those those are the sorts of things that you can do. 
Yeah. And I guess it's when we're dealing with business owners of SMEs and we're helping them with their exit plans and their exit planning, I guess there's two sides, isn't there? One is is um, identifying where their assets are and, and what's really going to fund for fund or be available to fund life after work. And uh-huh. and there's property investing and there's investing in your business. And, and yeah. often what we see is that um, when businesses are acquired, um, that the acquirer is interested in the business and the operations of the business. They're not necessarily interested in, in the property. And the no. property is a great asset for the owners to have and, and in their pension, as you suggest, but an acquirer of a business may not be interested in, in your property. You know, they, they want to know that you've got a long-term lease if that's a requirement, yeah. but otherwise, you know, they don't want to buy real estate. They want to buy a business. That's right. And, and, and I've worked with businesses where, you know, the, their accountants haven't actually even explained to them that they can split the property out of the business. Because you know, so, so, yeah. sometimes uh, you know, well, quite often people start out with one accountant, you know, and, and they grow the business, but they they don't realise they're actually outgrowing the expertise of their accountants. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you know, I've, I've turned around to people and said, "Well, you know, you've got this property in the business. Why didn't you take it out? That can become your pension pot, and the business continues, and you know, we deal with how we deal with that." But you're going to need an accountant that actually knows what they're doing with transferring this into a pension fund and all the VAT that goes with it. Did I? Did I? Did I? You know, and, and you've got to bring in some some specialists in that case, and they don't realise that that these other specialists are actually out there that uh, can help with all these different things. <laughs> Absolutely. When when it comes to planning your exit, regardless of what what industry you're in, you need to understand your personal finances and your personal mm. financial planning. The first thing we always want to explore is what do I need to maintain my lifestyle? What 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 will provide funding for that lifestyle once I stop working and, and generating an income through my business? That's right. I call it what's my business going to be worth? What? <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. And what's my business going to you know, contribute? If I, if I exit my business, if I sell my business, what is it worth and what will that contribute to my, my pension or, 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 or super pot, depending on where I am? Mm. Mm. And then what could it be worth? And then, and then once you've got all of that sorted, you want to start making sure that you know, you've got the right tax advice and, and legal structures in place. And then you need the right lawyer who's going to help you with the deal because uh, um, that can make a significant difference as to, to what you structure in the deal and, and uh, how that can proceed or not. Uh, depending on the risks. Yeah, that's right. And and I f- find one of the things that I end up doing quite a bit is actually going through all the different professionals that are involved in a sale of a business with people, yep. uh, depending on the type of business and, and, and the expertise that they, they, they will bring. Because um, a lot of people that have been working in the business, you know, going to day to day, you know, doing the work on site or in the office, producing the drawings and what have you, they they, they just don't don't engage with all the other professionals that uh, are needed for a sale, and and, and this is it's a, it's a big eye opener for them really to see what what uh, what needs to be done going forward. Absolutely. They're like any other business owner by the sounds of it. They're great at selling their product. Yeah. They're not necessarily great at um, selling their business because they're only going to sell their business once. 
No, that's right. But the the other thing that also I think is, um, you know, if you compare it, say, to manufacturing or something where you might have a factory with a you know, big team of people or something, with construction, because you've got so many different teams of people coming together, you know, relationships are, are, are vital. Um, and also the other thing that happens is that, you know, as one trade works its way through a project or one, one of the uh, professionals work their way through the project, what they find is they bump up against adjacent trades or professionals. Uh, and there's the opportunity, because there's people of all different ages in the industry, to, to start looking at combining with another business that's complementary to your own with a view to buying out. So you might have, say, for instance, an electrical contractor you know, that's, that's doing very well. They need, when they're on site, or the main contractor expects from them to coordinate a lot with a mechanical contractor and will, they will want to try and reduce their risk. So if you can have a, a, a contractor that's mechanical and electrical, you know, it's a big selling point. So an electrician that's maybe, say, in his 40s or 45, 50, say, if he goes out or he's working regularly with a, a mechanical contractor that's in their, say, 30s, then they could look to combine those businesses and he could do some sort of earn out with the, with the younger person, knowing that he's in good hands. And, and those sorts of combinations in the industry um, uh, are all over the place because there are so many specialists. You know, at a planning stage when you're going for planning application on a on a on a on a, on a project, you know, you might need a transport assessment. You might need an ecology assessment. So there's opportunities for okay. specialist ecologists or transport people to to join up with those businesses, and people can start to initiate those those uh, connections. You know, at an early stage. Okay, so one of the things you're suggesting as an exit opportunity is to make yourself attractive to be acquired by what's effectively a next door product. Yeah, yeah, or or acquire a, yeah. a next door product so that they can then eventually or take acquire over one yourself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and 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 there's so many, so many. Uh, everybody's trying to reduce risk. Um, so when people start out in the industry, you know, they're very focused on their niche. We were talking about niches earlier. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an easy sell if you're, if you're niche. But as businesses get bigger and the projects get bigger, people want to reduce risk. So your next door neighbor in the, in the sequence is an attractive proposition to combine with. And it can be quite, quite, quite close because people can be, you know, uh, you know, look at an office, you've got the ceilings, you know, be a ceiling fixer. Uh, and then the next uh, the next step is oh we'll come sit do ceilings and we'll do uh, the dry lining for the petitions, and and do the two, uh, and, and it saves all the coordination for the trade above, and and that's how you can grow. Uh, and you if you if you do it strategically, you can always do it with somebody that can buy you out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so Peter, what are you seeing are the biggest blockers or the the things that uh, businesses, I guess, are or aren't doing that are preventing them from being acquired or, or sellable? I think the, I mean, one of the things is that uh, a lot of people don't recognise what the buyer's going to look for. Um, so that they, they don't set out to try and sort out what is their real selling point, what gives them uh, uh, an eye for the future. 
um, people need to look at it and say, yeah, this is what I'm actually doing. I've got work coming in, but what is it? What makes it attractive? I mean, it was a business I was looking at the other week. Um, and the way it had been packaged up to sell made it look quite, uh, you know, quite a, a large business. But when I went to see them, they, they'd had a lot of interest, but they hadn't managed to make the sale. But when I went to see them, it, it turned out they were actually a, a, a very small niche of the market. And when you looked at what they were actually doing, they were providing for sort of like the next level up. But they were doing it on a very regular basis with with uh, no formality. And, and if they could just turn that into some sort of formality, like we are on the PSL for, you know, five contractors doing maintenance work, those five contractors have got 10-year maintenance contracts. Suddenly, what looks like... a uh, uh, you know, just a, a an ad hoc maintenance company is wow. You know, they've got five large, five or six large contracts here that potentially are five to ten years long. You know, it's a very attractive business. But they were being sold as oh, they just do uh, a little bit of maintenance on this particular element of a of a building. Okay. So what we've got so far, I think if I can just pull some of this yeah. thread together, is the number one thing you really want to look at is your revenue. What does your revenue look like? Have you got long-term contracts? Can we smooth out the uh, and make the revenue uh, more predictable than, than it is otherwise and, and remove some of the lumpiness? And yeah. long-term contracts are the best way to do that. The next one is to explore... Have we got some strategic alliance with with other organizations if if we're doing a lot of subcontracting and potentially can we um, acquire or or introduce and expand our our range of services or or expertise yeah. in our organization okay. so that we we can uh, you know, compete on on bigger and and more um, comprehensive components of projects and contracts? I guess the next one I think we're going to touch on is is perhaps the the people. Have we got you yeah. know what are the people and and you touched on already the the process or a methodology? Um, are you known? Yeah, you know, if you've got a, an industry niche and you're known for your niche, is all of that expertise of your niche and your knowledge of that that particular area does it reside in someone's head or is it in the business? Is it documented in the business so whoever acquires that business can continue with that knowledge? Is you, know, you didn't use those words, but I think that's what you alluded to. Is that fair? That's, that that's fair. Um, I mean, obviously, because it's a it's a lot of the industry is very practical. Um, it's it's people with the right right certificates and certification and training and everything, knowing the subcontractors that have got the right accreditation. But the industry, it is certainly at the SME level. Is, is being fairly slow to adopt technology um, and th there are big opportunities out there for the introduction of technology for, for keeping of records and sorting out the contractual arrangements for making sure that people are actually getting in all the money that they're due. Um, it's it's, it's uh, uh, too easy for lots of the subcontractors to say, uh, yeah, I've got a problem on this job. Um, I don't really know how to go about getting paid. Um, 
and and you know the, it ends in disaster. They either lose money on a project or they ultimately go bust. So actually making sure that you're capturing all the all the monies that are due to you through the contract and having strong focus on the contractual side of it as well in contracting is 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 uh, is paramount and and that needs a strong strong uh, commercial side in a business that's uh, that can be visibly seen and and it also goes through to when somebody starts looking at the business i can remember sort of looking at acquisitions in corporate life you know you get, you get the accounts you get the management accounts so that's not enough you've actually got to go and visit the sites because the management accounts might be showing overvaluations or undervaluations and somebody's got to do a true valuation of what's really going on on the job and, and a buyer yeah. will look at that so, yeah so we need to know our financials i think is that there that's strong um peter and, and what's your experience what are you seeing is that is the most you know common ways that these industries in this sector are actually exiting are they trade sales are they eot's are they what, what are they you know, mergers what's happening the, the majority, the majority, um, I would say, people pass them on to somebody that's working in the business. So somebody within the business will buy them out. Um, or so an MBO bring, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Some, 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 some form of MBO. And if it, if it's, um, it, it, if that's not possible with the people that are actually there then you know you've got to start looking at doing the acquisition so that you acquire the people that will do the mbo um yeah so the, the, those are the sorts of sequences that are, are probably the most common because it's it is about um the people and it's the people that get the work in so you know a business's reputation uh is um absolutely paramount and how how people connect with other people to get the work in so the mbo route is is actually quite quite popular okay and what about eot's are you seeing yeah. much happening there that they, they, they are they're they they are becoming very popular with uh, construction people um that construction people will look and say oh well i've built this business up these people are in here i want to give it, give something back to them um they see the tax advantages of everything of uh of an eot and they go down the route of an eot thinking the business is going to be in good hands because they've worked with the people and the people have you know helped them build the business i think where the the concern is with those types of um exit structures is that those people that are very good at working in the business and delivering the goods aren't necessarily good business owners and and that that is the real risk is that it takes a different mindset to actually run a business to actually work in a business no matter how good people are working in the business they can't actually run the business and, and you you see you see some of these you know the, the the exit will occur there's a deferred payment and then you know two years down the line <laughs> that deferred payment's gone because the the staff have actually not been um let's see on on the ball enough with the with the uh the actual running of the business and have been too concerned with 
producing a, a really good quality product or customer service and you know the money's just flushed flushed away that that that's, yeah i think that that's the real risk we we see a lot of risks i think i think eot's are a great structure um yeah. if you're already exit ready and you've done the preparation they can be a great solution what I'm seeing and, and what I'm hearing in the marketplace is, is that people are trying to exit their business via other means. And then as a last ditch resort, no. when they can't sell their business via other means, they're going, well, let's sell it to an EOT. Yeah. And then you bump into all the problems that you raised there that the management team uh, in place aren't really a management team. They're, they're great um, operations people at getting the job done, but not at managing a business. So then there's mm. a, a real risk with the owners actually getting the money out of the business without yeah. working a, an elongated earnout period themselves, still being in the business after it changes hands, just to make sure they get their money. That's right, and I think that's possibly one of the reasons EOTs are becoming popular in the industry is because you know construction is very cyclical, and, and they're difficult businesses to sell. So, you know, what you're saying is a last resort is actually, you know, moved up the priority list quite quickly if people haven't really got their act together and sort of thought about how they are going to exit. Yeah. 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 They, they need to create a culture um, in the organisation up front a lot more transparent uh, so that, you know, the, the EOT um, is going to be in safe hands or the business will yeah. be in safe hands once the EOT owns it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so Peter, I think... let's pull this all together so that we've mm. um, you know, to captured the conversation, the essence of your expertise. Out of all the things that you do with businesses and and the things that we've discussed today, what's the 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 key the key element? What's the one key message that you'd love listeners to get out of our conversation today? I don't, for me, the the key element is is don't leave the exit planning too late. You've, you've got to start looking around for the right people, um, potentially in construction, to, to be able to make your exit with the people that you can trust with the business. So start thinking about it early, early. years ahead. Yeah, yeah. Find out about it. Excellent. Start that's, thinking that's, about it. That's always good advice. Peter, thanks for joining me today. Appreciate you sharing your thoughts thoughts Thanks for on it. the Exit Insights podcast. Thank you.